I'm going to turn it over to Dylan right away. Thank you for coming. Thank you. All right, let's just have an opening prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for another Sabbath and another time to um, spend with you. We ask that you give us, um, fill, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that um, the words that I am uh, speaking will not come from me but from you, and that they will not see me but see you, um, and that uh, the stories and the miracles that happened over in Turkey and Ukraine, um, that it will inspire them to go out and be bold in faith to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so my name is Dylan I'm McWilliams. Um, I'm from Ironwood, Michigan, um, but I'm originally from uh, Moab, Utah area, and uh, Gideon Rescue Company was started by my cousin, Corey Mydell, and his really good friend, Brock Meyer, from, from uh, Union College. And they started in 2010, right after the big Haiti earthquake. Um, and they just bought one-way tickets and went down there, and God provided so many things. There were helicopters that flew them around. They were just blown away. How, how going by faith and trusting that God will provide everything you need, like he says... Um, the doors just flew open for them. So they came back to the school they were teaching at, which was Daystar Adventist Academy, and that's where I was a student. And um, they told their stories, and I've heard all these stories for many years since then, and it just, I wanted to be a part of it. So after I graduated in 2016, I traveled around working, and uh, they called me in 2018. They said, there's a, a, a hurricane that hit North Carolina. Do you want to go? They're like, we, if there's two of us, we're driving, we picked up a hitchhiker, and we're going. And they're like, I was like, yeah, I'll go. And I went, and it changed my life, and I was hooked ever since. And right after I got back from that, I went to Indonesia on a one-way ticket that I bought um, for a big earthquake and tsunami that hit. And there was just two of us that went. And the doors flew open for that. There's so many miracle stories um, with that one as well. But... Um, since then, Gideon Rescue Company, it's all faith-based. We just go where the Lord sends us. And we don't really consider ourselves um, disaster specialists, more disaster evangel evangelists. So we'll go into the disaster zone and do what we can to help. A lot of us are uh, EMTs, paramedics, nurses, rescue technicians, and stuff like that. We all have these certifications, but really they mean nothing. They're really just to get us into these places where we can hand out literature, we can pray with people, we can... Um, cut trees off of people's houses, and uh, just spread hope and love in a time when people need it most. Um, and that's what, this is one of our mottos. The Savior made each work of healing an occasion for implanting divine principles in the soul and in the mind and soul. This was the purpose of his work. He imparted earthly blessings that he might incline the hearts of men to receive the gospel of grace. So, Where do I point it? There we go. All right, so what can faith do? If you look in Hebrews, um, 
I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you need to, I encourage everybody to read this because what faith can do is, it, I'll just read this, this part here. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Japheth, also of David and Samuel, and, through, and, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens, women, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And it just, it just goes on and on. And if the whole, that whole chapter of Hebrews is, is amazing of what faith can do. And we always limit faith. You know, we always, and we always ask so little of God. Like, for example, like, recently I've been like, God, I need some help building my house. And um, when you, in the grand scheme of things, that's so small. God cares so much for every little thing. He's already has it all worked out. And that's for me to have faith to wait, because his timing is perfect. You know, and it may not be right now. But he has, he has, his timing is perfect. And this is the, and for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God and overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, and our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I believe if you keep these two commandments, all of the others will fall into place. And I claim this all the time. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. And I can tell you this, I've seen this firsthand, where we've been on a response, and Brock, for example, has gone, leave, left his family at home, and he's quit his job, and gone on a response, and with no money in the bank account for his wife and his kids. And knowing that he could go for 10 days, two weeks, and come back and there's, there's nothing. And he'll come back and somebody had put money in his account. And he doesn't know who. And I, I, it's happened to all of us many times that um, our water, it, it's like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. That's all God requires. He doesn't require certifications and tools and, and experience. All he requires is a willing heart to say, here am I, send me. We should work as Jesus did, departing from our own pleasure, despising ease, that we may seek and save that which is lost, bringing souls from darkness into light, into the sunshine of God's love. And this is a big, a big thing, because Gideon Rescue Company, we go with nothing. Like a lot of times... We make a joke that we all we go with is with a toothbrush, and um, we a lot of times we don't even have maps, we don't have a guide, we don't have anything. We just go, and um, this comes into play. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. And His paths sometimes we get impatient 
like recently we were going to get tickets to Ukraine and we were impatient or the tickets were going up. We're like, we need to get some tickets. We need to get some tickets. And we, we got impatient and uh, some of us got tickets. And then uh, we just found out that um, somebody would like to fly us over there in a private jet. And if we had waited, um, God, God had this all worked out way beforehand. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us, of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme will watch perplexities vanish in a plain path before their feet. On February 6th this year, at four, around 4.15 in the morning, a 7.8 earthquake hit southern and central Turkey and northern and western Syria. So at 4.15 in the morning, everybody's sleeping. And that's a big earthquake that hit that. And it dropped a ton of buildings. And what we saw is it, the people that survived were out. And their husbands and the men, all the boys, went back into the buildings to get belongings to look for people that were stuck and at 1.30 in the afternoon, another 7.7 sister earthquake struck and brought down even more buildings. It affected over 10 cities just in Turkey. Over 200,000 buildings were just destroyed and even more damaged. And the loss of life was devastating. Um, if you Google the, um, the fatalities of this earthquake, it, it's like, like in the 50,000s. But in the city that we were in, we were in Hatay, Turkey, which is actually, in the Bible, it's Antioch. And that's where we were. And all of the, the military officials, the government officials there that we were working with, said they were very upset with their government because it was an election year and they were trying to downplay this whole disaster. In just the city of Hatay, there was over 200,000 people that had died. And that was only two weeks after the earthquake that that number came up. And that was just in Turkey. There was still Syria, which was right next door, that nobody could get in because of the Al-Shir Al-Qam, uh, Al-Qaeda group um, in Aleppo, Syria. They weren't allowing anybody. By the time we left, after two weeks, they had allowed two aid trucks into Syria. So we got the call. There's my, my wife, my little girl, and my little boy. And we were actually visiting Brock and Corey in Oklahoma. And we got the call, and Brock said, we got to go. And that's the thing with these natural disasters. A lot of us, we have jobs where we can leave and be like, on a moment's notice, we can say, we got to go. Because we have to go. We, when something like this happens, we have, we call it the spiritual golden hour. In the medical field, the golden hour is that special time where you have to save somebody's life. And we call this the spiritual golden hour where this happens and you have a limited amount of time to get in and get the word of God to them like this. So that's, that's what we went we prayed about it, and uh, we decided to go. So this was the original team. There's myself, there's Meredith right next to me, and then Brock, Jess, and Corey. They're married, and then they're dogs. And these are all search and rescue dogs. And uh, we, f- we drove to Dallas, and on the way there, we're like, maybe we should call and see if we can take the dogs on the airplane. Like, we didn't even know. We called, and they said, nope, your dogs have to be in crates, and uh, you have to buy special tickets for them. And we were like, oh, no. We're like 20 minutes from the airport. We have no clue what we're doing. We, we ha- already have our tickets, and uh, we didn't know what we were going to do. So we get into the front desk, and there's this huge long line. And this lady at the front desk saw that we had dogs and waved us around the line over to where she was. And she said, so what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, 
we're uh, on our way to Turkey. And we were with Turkish Airlines, and we're like, we're trying to get there. And she's like, well, you need crates for your dogs, and you have to buy special tickets. And the plane is already full. And we're like, okay, well. So some of us broke off and started praying, and the others were, she's like, let me go talk to my supervisor. And within five minutes, she came back, and she's, she's just like, I've never seen anything like this happen. But they just waived all the regulations, and you guys can take the dogs on the plane. Um, but you have to have crates on the way back, is what she said. <laughs> and uh, she said the dogs are going to have to sit in your laps because the plane is completely full. And um, some of them were like, well, what about the meals on the plane? Mostly Corey, because he's very particular. He likes everything. He's very detailed. So he's like, is there any vegetarian meals? And they were like, no. The schedule for this flight is, it was all, all meat. No vegetarian meals. And we were like, okay, well, we'll get something on the, on the, um, before we get on the plane. And the lady was like, I'll make you guys sandwiches and bring them to you before you get on the airplane. We're like, wow, okay. So we go through security, and um, there's what I went with to Turkey. And there was snow on the ground in Turkey. So there was, um, it was in the 30s at night and maybe 50s during the day. And a lot of us didn't, we didn't take sleeping bags. But God has a, has a way of um, not only just um, teaching us a lesson, but showing us, helping us learn from it. So um, me, I always have my Leatherman with me. And I'm like, I use it all the time. There's never, it's like, I, if I don't have it, I know I need it. Corey, he brought four sleeping bags. And I was like, no, God's going to provide a sleeping bag. But Corey brought four. In the plane trip over there, that whole bag got lost with all the sleeping bags and my Leatherman. But God provided everything we needed. Every, every, chan- every time I needed a tool, someone was handed to me. Every time we needed a place to sleep, blankets were provided. So as we get to the airplane, the lady provides us meals, which was really great. We walk on the airplane, and um, the dog's team were taken all the way to the back, and there was each, each dog handler had an empty row for their, their dog and them. And they had just told us the flight was full. And then um, once we get in the air, the flight attendants come through with all the meals, and every meal for that whole flight was vegetarian. And then about almost to France, um, actually this was a direct flight to Istanbul, so we flew into, almost to Istanbul, there was a medical emergency on the plane, this guy collapsed, super dehydrated, low blood sugar, and passed out. And they called on the airplane, is anybody, medical personnel, and like four of us get up and we all walk over there, and we all had IV bags in our, in our carry-ons and all this stuff, and we uh, got him up and got him hydrated and he actually got a whole bunch of literature. And this is another thing. So Turkey's a closed country. You can't bring any type of literature into Turkey. And we had a backpack full of uh, glow tracks and Steps to Christ, great controversies, all in uh, Arabic and uh, Turkish. And we're like, we didn't really think much of it. We're like, we didn't even realize really that how closed it actually was. But we gave everybody there that was helping us literature and um, got really good. They all we got in good with the flight attendants. They brought us so much food and dessert. It was it was great. Um, this man Octai, he came um, up to us and he watched all this happen, and he said, uh, "I see that you are a rescue team." He said, "My family, 
is buried in the rubble in Turkey. I'm on my way to see if I can, I can dig them out. Nobody's helping me. He said, will you help me? And we were like, yes. And he's like, also, I speak Turkish, and I'll be your interpreter. He was actually flying, flying from Dallas. He lived in Houston. He was flying there. We are like, amazing. This is, is going to be great. So we all went with him. Um, when we coming into land, it was really cool. We, it looked like a cross sitting there. Like, we just kept saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this is why we take literature. As they read these publications, light from the throne of God will shine into the soul temple. Jot by jot, here a little and there a little, the truth will appear to the mind, and the soul will be fed with provender, with provender, thoroughly winnowed from the chaff. Pamphlets and leaflets dealing with the truth for this time should be scattered everywhere, like the leaflets of autumn. And this is the type of stuff that we carry. So we get walk off the plane in Turkey, and that was the last, that was our only plan. We had no, no idea how to get to Hatay. It was a 12-hour drive from Istanbul to Hatay. And we we're met at the door by a man that says, follow me. And Brock starts following him, and I start following Brock. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, I don't know. I'm following him. He said to follow him. We followed him all through the airport. They, they bought us tickets to Adana, which is actually uh, Tarsus in the Bible. And they never once searched our bags. It, it kind of felt like the Gestapo. It's like they were all in these long coats, and like, like they were searching everybody's bag. There was a few other rescue teams coming off the plane. They searched everybody, not us. Our bags were all piled up. They were all circled around us, talking to us, and petting the dogs, and um, it was great. And they actually bought us a vegetarian pizza and gave us a place to rest for until our next flight, which they paid for. And we still didn't know what was going on. We were like, how is this happening? Um, there's Octai. He's, like, blown away. And when we met Octai, he was very worldly, very, very worldly. Every other word was a cuss word. He was... He was swearing up and down. He was, he was, you could tell. And then he got to be around us and see the miracles that happened. Like, he, he walks off the plane, and all of our tickets are paid for immediately. And he was like, how does this happen? Um, another thing, we had customs to go through. And they walk us to the line of customs, and I'm carrying this bag full of literature. And I'm like, oh, no. They're searching everybody's bag. We get to the line, and the guy is like, you guys, come around here. And we, we walked around. He's like, follow me. And we walked out of customs, walked all the way around, never once got our bags searched, never even had to go through security. And uh, we're escorted onto a plane, and they said the plane is full, um, but we're going to ask people to give up their seats for you. And all these people that were, when we walked into that, that uh, terminal, the there was just, you could tell it was so solemn. Everybody was crying. Everybody had lost somebody. They were all trying to get to their, their hometown where their family was. And um, they gave up their seats for us, for 11 of us to go, and three dogs. Um, we got to Adana, and that was as far as we could get. The airport was closed in Hatay, and there was like 40 rescue teams that were stranded at this airport. Eight-hour drive from Adana to Hatay. And we didn't know what we were going to do. We looked the most out of place. You can see that everybody has matching everything. We had three matching helmets, and a few of us had matching pants. That was it. And we looked completely out of place. We were exhausted, so they just 
slept right there on the floor. And when we go on disasters like this, we encounter people from everywhere. So I had Japanese literature, I had French, I had Norwegian, everything. And we're just, everybody in that airport got literature. And um, then the next morning, we're like, we need to figure out how to get to Hatai. This isn't working. So we were laying there, and Brock all of a sudden sits up, and he's like, I feel very impressed. We need to look for a helicopter. And Ralph's like, okay, let's go. And we, we actually read the story of uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer where they went by faith and they climbed up that hill and the, the Philistines fell before them. And if you actually read it, the, the Philistines, when they ran up, Jonathan didn't, there was only two swords in the whole camp of Israel. Jonathan had one and Saul had one. And when they ran up that hill, Jonathan didn't have his sword. His armor bearer had his sword. And as Jonathan crested that hill, the, the Philistines fell before them, and his armor bearer slew them. You know, and that's what it felt like. We're like, we just read that. We're like, we're gonna go, and we just boldly walked out. And that's one thing. If if you take away anything from all of these things, be bold in faith, because, and ask ask amazing and great things from God, because He will provide. So we went and we walked out of the airport onto the tarmac. And we're like, now where do we go? We walked up and down the tarmac, didn't see anything. And then all of a sudden I hear this like, there's a helicopter. Listen, we're looking around and we see the Coast Guard spinning up their helicopters across the airport. And we're like, okay, we need to get over there. So we just flagged down a security guy that's flying by and uh, driving by. He wasn't in an airplane. (laughs) And we're like, we need to go over there. And he's like, who are you guys? We're like, we just need to go over there. Can you take us over there? We're like, sure. We're like, what's your name? He's like, it's David. We're like, oh, this is like goes along with the story. So uh, we, he took us over there. They stopped all air traffic, drove us across the tarmac to the Coast Guard station. And you can see there we're driving over there. And on my phone, on Google Translate, I typed, we are a small rescue team. We have three dogs. We're trying to get to Hatai. Can you help? And I walked up, and I showed it to this guy. And he's like, I will help. And he's like, follow me. And he, he's wearing a Gideon rescue patch. We traded a bunch of patches with him. And uh, we walked into the tarmac, and they were like, um, the commander was like, who are you again? And who gave you authorization? We're like, we don't know. We were just here. And he was like, okay, well, let me see. He made some calls, and he's like, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. We'll have to take you back. And they took us all the way back to the airport, and we walk in, and we're like, oh, what are we going to do? And we didn't know, so we just started, we all started praying, and um, all of a sudden Brock's phone rings, and he answers it, and he's like, who is this? Who is this? And he's like, guys, come here, and he turned the phone on speaker. It was the uh, air command for the all of Middle East for the U.S. military. And he was like, I hear you guys are Americans, and you're in uh, Adana, and you're trying to get to Hatai. He's like, I'm going to help. I'm going to send you two Black Hawk helicopters and fly you in. And we're like, whoa, like, how did you even get our number? And we had all these questions, but by then we were done talking to him. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer is an act of war against the devil. Like the Bible says, our, the weapons of our, warf- our, our warfare are not um, of this world. So we're, we, they take us literally into the middle of the tarmac. They stopped all air traffic for these choppers to land and they escort us onto the tarmac, 
into these helicopters. And these other rescue teams watch this all happen and are like, who are these guys? Like, that the U.S. military comes and picks them up. And we got to fly across the Mediterranean. And Octai got to be a part of all of this. And this mission, these missions, if it would be worth it, even if we all had to sacrifice our lives for one more person. If this was all for Octai, it would be worth it. And it's changed his life. They landed us in Hatai in this big open field next to a field hospital. And uh, we walked, walked off the, the helicopter and onto the street. And we're like, now what? We have no idea how to get the six miles into the city where the earthquake was the worst and where Octai's family was. So one of us uh, actually felt impressed. We're like, let's flag down an ambulance because they were fl- driving in, lights and sirens, dropping off people that were wounded, and then driving back um, with lights and sirens. So we flagged one down. They said, yep, get in right now, and we'll take you right there. And... Uh, they drove, we packed 11 people and three dogs into the back of an ambulance and drove lights and sirens straight through the checkpoints, which was cool. They had checkpoints, and the ambulance got waved all the way through. That was Octai's building. That's where his family was buried. When we got there, there was 168 people still inside there after three days. And you can see all the people up there working, and we get there and we're like, whoa, there's nothing we can do here. And even Octai realized that. His wife was standing there, and it was, it was actually her, it was his extended family. It was all her family that was buried. And um, she was just standing there crying. She didn't know what to do. And he, he said, I, found the, I met these guys on the plane. They're here to help. And he's like, but there's nothing they can do here. He's like, we have to go look for more people. And she's like, okay, go. And uh, we just started walking around the city. We didn't even know what we were doing. There was so much everywhere. And the, the stench, like everybody's all happy and like, man, God's providing everything along the way. And we get off the ambulance and the, the stench of death was just everywhere. There was body bags all along the road, everywhere we went. And it was, it was, it was a real mood killer, if you'd say. Just everything was just so sad. And we're like, man, what are we supposed to do? We were overwhelmed. And... Um, all of a sudden, somebody yells, we, have, we heard a voice, so we heard a voice over here, so we're over there digging, we're over here digging, everywhere we were digging. And there was, it was just so overwhelming. But the city, um, the whole city, if somebody blew a whistle, everybody stops making any noise, and everybody listens. And then they, they keep digging, and they would, they would say, if you can hear me, make a sound, make a sound. And you would, people would be tapping, and they would find people like that. And everywhere we went, people would be like, come, help us over here, help us over here. And we would work there. But we didn't have any tools. We were digging with our bare hands into this concrete. This lady, as I was walking down, she grabbed me and she pulled me aside. And she said, please help me, please help me. She's like, my sister and her six children are buried in this building. She's like, can you please help? We hear a baby crying. And that was the building. And we were like, whoa, like, where do we even start? And um, we just started digging. And we, she's, we, we kept, because it was all, it was, all, it was like, a, like a five or six story building that was just collapsed. And we're like, what, what floor were they? 
And she's like, I think it was the third floor. But she's like, it's all confusing because everything's all, the way an earthquake works, like it, the ground moves like this. Everything doesn't come flat down. Sometimes the bottom will end up up here. So it, it was all very confusing. And she said their room is in the center of it. And we just started digging and digging. And we dug for all day and all night. And uh, we get into the, the, the building and we just looking. We couldn't, we couldn't find them. Um, the next day they came in with a big excavator. And uh, um, we actually found the excavator for them and got it, got it there. And uh, they found all, all six of them and none of them had survived. Um, but this lady, that was, so that's the same picture. So that was when I, I took that picture. That was when we got there and we're like, where do we even start? And then the next day, that's, that's where they were. And they were all in this room right here. And um, that lady, even though, like, we did everything we could, we couldn't, we couldn't get there. Um, she was so grateful that she, she would come and she would help us. And she, would, she was so grateful that we stuck around. She was actually, by the end of the trip, walking around the streets, proclaiming that these Christians are doing more for me than my Muslims. We are worshiping the wrong God. We need to be, we need to be looking into this. And she could be killed for that in that country. And she was being very bold, and she was so grateful. And um, it was, I mean, we were crying the whole time talking with this lady. But everywhere we went, it was um, Sabbath morning. We had a, a good worship. We sang some songs, and we're like, God, direct us. Where do you want us to go? We just start walking. And uh, we met this man. His name's Abraham. And he said, please, nobody's helping me. He said, my, my parents are buried in this apartment. I can't hear anything. I don't know where they are. Can you please help? We will get in there, and he has no tools. He's, he's digging with his bare hands in a hammer, trying to break through this concrete. And um, we're like, we got to find tools. So I walked out into the... Uh, end of the street, and I just start walking down the street. And I see two jackhammers laying in the middle of the road. And I'm like, whoa, in a disaster zone where everybody's trying to find a jackhammer. There's two of them. I reached down and picked them up, and the guy, two guys came running over, and they're like, we're here to help. We can run the jackhammers. And God, sent, God not only sent the jackhammers, he sent two guys that were very good at running jackhammers. And they jackhammered all these holes for us. Boom, 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 boom. Super quick. And we would crawl in looking for... Uh, his family, which we never found, but um, we we searched we searched those those rooms all day with him, and um, at the end he just sat down. He just started crying, and we sat down with him, put our arms around him, and we said, "We don't know what to say, but there's comfort in Jesus Christ." And we gave him an Arabic glow track, and he read it, and then he's like, "This is amazing." He spoke English, and he's like, "This is amazing." He said. Do you have more? I want to give them to my friends. Just some pictures. So the way this worked, our dog teams were on a, they started on one block. And the dogs would alert if somebody was alive. And they alerted on this one building. And uh, actually, that's not, I'm ahead of myself. (laughs) This is uh, Mike. He actually um, joined Gideon Rescue in Iowa. There was a big uh, tornado a couple years ago down there. And he saw Corey and Brock. They were up on a big building trying to cut this tree off of this guy's house. And they didn't know what they were doing. They're like massive tree. And 
Mike has a huge tree service. He had a big crane, and he's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're here to help. We're Gideon Rescue Company. And he was like, really? And he started seeing what they were doing, and he's like, I want to be a part of this. He sold his whole business, and now he's devoted his life to Gideon Rescue Company. And he was with us there, and he's a brand-new Christian, brand-new. He's still, like, he's on the verge of getting baptized. Like, he's, he's on the verge. And um, this was a big step for him. When he was there, he saw this old guy that was digging through rubble in flip-flops. And he's like, man, this guy needs some boots. And he's like, he's like, Corey. Or he was like, not to Corey, he was like, Brock, we need to pray. Let's pray for some boots. He prayed for a pair of boots. And as soon as he opens his eyes, Corey comes walking by. And he's like, Corey, do you seen, have you seen any boots? And uh, Corey was like, yeah. If you walk around this building, there's in, if you go into this building, there's this big slab of concrete. Behind it, I saw a pair of boots. And he's like, okay. He's like, this guy's like a 13. Do you think they'll fit? And Corey's like, I don't know. So followed his directions, goes back, finds the boots. And he's like, yeah, there's no way these are going to fit. Takes them to the guy, and then he's like, I'm sorry, this is all I could find. And the guy was like, let me try them on. Tried them on, and they fit perfectly. The guy was so happy. And Mike, of course, is like, whoa, like, these, like, jumped sizes in my hands. We worked with all types of people there, a bunch of military. You can just see, and it was crazy. Some buildings were still standing. Other buildings, they were completely demolished. And a a lot of other buildings, 90% of the buildings, you see, like, like, like that one up there, that looks fine, but the bottom two stories are collapsed. So the people in those bottom stories were buried. There's an aerial picture. So this was the building that the dogs first alerted on. Boom, somebody's alive. So Corey started working. We were on our way to him, and uh, we... We came across this little guy, this guy that was standing there, and he's like, he's like, can you help me? We're like, he's like, I was buried right here for four days, or for three days, because it was day three. He's like, I was buried right here for three days. They dug me out last night. He said, but my wife is still buried, and I can't find them. We could hear them, but now we can't hear them anymore. And those concrete slabs were massive. They were the size of this, this whole screen. And we're like, there's nothing we can do. They, there was no way to even get an excavator back there. Um, and we just, we didn't even know what to do. We just prayed with him and gave him glow tracks and said, if, and he actually is still in contact with me today. He said, thank you so much for what you did. Even though we did nothing for him, I felt like we did nothing. So this was the building. You can see they're holding it up with, uh, four excavators. It was leaned forward and the bottom three stories were collapsed and nobody was going in there. And you can see people are, are camped outside their building. And there were aftershocks every couple hours, big aftershocks, where more buildings would come down. And nobody said, nobody, nobody's going in there. But there was people alive. We're like, is there people alive? They said, yes, we can hear them. So we went in. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And through this whole time, we never really felt scared. We're like, we know that this is, this is very dangerous, that, in our right minds, we shouldn't be doing this. But God gave us that, 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 that spirit of peace that we had. And they had a thermal camera, and they, th- they 
did the whole room where they said the people were. And you can see, so this is not a person, that's an air gap. And this was an animal, they said. But this one and this one and this one were people. And they were still alive. They said their, their machine was so accurate, they can tell like how long you've been dead. They can tell like what kind of animal you are. It was very accurate. They said, but it is not, not very accurate on where exactly it is in the building. And when you're digging through concrete, you can be six inches off up here, and down there you're ten inches off, but you've got a big slab of concrete that's between it. So we started digging right where they said. We started with pickaxes, and we just started pounding through. We had some jackhammers. We had bolt cutters. Um, people started showing up. The holes got deeper, and uh, we actually worked. Me, Brock, and Corey worked for 62 hours straight on this building. Day and night, I watched the sun come up and set in the same window for like three days. It flew by. I didn't even, didn't even realize it. And every time, we're like, man, I'm kind of getting hungry. Somebody would show up with a whole tray of tomato and cheese sandwiches. We're like, whoa, how did, like, where did this come from? Oh, somebody down there gave it to us, and we had food. Every time, I, even, I brought a water bottle, I never opened it. I never even opened it. Water was provided. More people would come and go, come and go through the days and nights working with us. So once the holes got deep enough, we, we were down maybe 10 feet. Um, the aftershocks that would happen, we couldn't get out. So we would just all curl up in a ball as close as we could and hope that the building would not come down on us. And everybody else would like jump out of the building. Even before it got down that, that far, the aftershock would happen, and we would all jump out this uh, two-story window. And they, at first, the first time I jumped, there was I just was like praying I miss rebar when I landed. But then they people started piling mattresses outside. So when the earthquake would happen, we would run and jump out these windows onto the mattresses. You see the mattresses. <laughs> And then the holes were down so deep we had to take shifts. And I brought my harmonica, and we were playing hymns to the people. And throughout this whole time, we could hear them. We would, we would have our interpreter say, if you can hear us, make a noise. And this is what we would hear. We'd hear on the concrete, or we would hear scratching. And we're like, oh, they're here. They're close. And it started out we were listening with a stethoscope. We could hear them. And then it started. Then it came to where we could hear them without and um, then it got to the point where we're like, can you see our light? We were shining way back in there. They said, yes, we can see your light. We can see your light. And we kept digging. We kept digging. We were praying with them. We, were, we, couldn't, we couldn't understand them, but we, could, we would communicate with the taps. Can you hear us? Make a noise. Tap, tap, tap. This is Carl, and he's an atheist. And he joined us on this trip, and now he is uh, doing Bible studies with us. And uh, he's praying right there. There's us in the hole. Finally got to the point we just could not go anymore. I fell asleep on a backboard for like 20 minutes. And uh, woke up and we just, we just kept going. And we, we were running out of opportunities. We had no idea what, how much more we could go. And we just prayed, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. 
Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. We prayed, and I standing outside, I'm like, we need help. We need help. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy walking towards us. I'm like, he looks professional. So I, we go over there, and he's like, in, he's French, and he's like, um, is there people alive? I said, yeah. And he, we brought him over, and he was like, I have a 40-man team that were French uh, military firefighters. We have heavy equipment, uh, like uh, heavy equipment rescue teams, so they can like have airbags. They can lift concrete slabs and pull people out. They said, we've already rescued 80 people in the last two days. We're like, oh, praise the Lord. And he's like, he's like, we'll all work in shifts, 15-minute shifts, so everyone's working full speed all the time. And they worked with us for two days and a night. And then the building started, they said it started to move. And we prayed for, uh, we're like, we, we've dug so many holes where they said this, these people were. And in that whole city, there was only two thermal cameras. And everybody's wanting one. And it was super hard to get. And we got it four times. Every time we prayed, it would show back up and we would get it again. And then somebody showed up with a, a, ray, like a radar or sonar detector where they could listen and they could hear the heartbeat. And they confirmed again that, yes, there's people alive. They said one of the people has passed away, but there's still two. We can hear them. So then they worked, and they dug a ton of tunnel. And we worked with them. We couldn't, we couldn't just let them let them do it on their own. So we worked. And then they had this laser set up on the building. And every time the, the earthquake would happen, the building would move and their laser would go off. And everybody would pile out. And finally they decided that it was too dangerous and they couldn't, they couldn't keep going. And they backed out. They said, no, we're done. You guys should not go in there anymore. And um, these coal miners were like, what are we going to do? So we worked another night. These coal miners came in and said, uh, we'd, like to, we'd like to help. And they, they dug like three times the amount of tunnel that we dug in those, those 60 hours. And they said, we cannot find them. We cannot find them. We have dug everywhere. We cannot find them. They can still, we can still hear them with the stethoscope, but we cannot find them. The next morning... Um, they, they came and they said, it's too dangerous. We cannot keep digging. The building's going to fall down if we try to dig anymore. They said, um, they had an architect, the, there was an architects that were going around the city, like, analyzing buildings, just saying what could be worked on and what couldn't. And he came and said, no, this building is not, if you pull the equipment away, it's going to fall. And we have to pull the equipment away this morning because there's, there's 100 people down the block that need it need the equipment. There's four pieces of equipment being held, used to hold this building up. And he said, this building is too dangerous. Nobody's allowed inside. And the coal miners all left. And we said, no, the, God led us here for a reason. We didn't know what the reason was. We didn't know if it was for the people that were inside or for the people that were outside. And we're like, we need to keep working. So we went back in. When morning came, they said, we have to pull the equipment away. We said, that's okay. God's holding this building up. God's holding this building up. And um, they pulled the equipment away, and the building never even moved. They had their laser set on it, and the building never moved. The architect came over, and he's looking at it, and he's looking at it, and he was like like mumbling to himself, and the interpreter, our interpreter is over there, and he's like looking at us smiling, and like, this guy, he's new. New to this, this God thing. And he's like 
Octai is brand new. He was he was the one that was on the helicopter with us, and he's like, he's like he's saying it's levitated. He's saying it's it's being held up. It's it's like it's being levitated, and and we're like, okay, and we went back in. This time we went into the basement, which was even even worse because now we had dug all through up up on top, but the building was all messed up. Like the floors were all messed up. We didn't know what floor we were on, and we went into the basement and we started digging. We started digging, and we worked for another four hours in there. And there were the two guys that stayed with us throughout the whole time, working with us, and uh, one of them was a high military commander that stayed with us. And then this guy. And um, we could really distinctly hear the tapping sounds while we were in the basement. It was just like echoey. We were like, man, we can hear them. We can hear them. And they, could, they brought a listening device. And the guy was even having a conversation with the people. And then once we started working down here, we could not hear anything. We're like, where are they? What, what in the world? And we dug for another four hours, and we hit the hole that we had already dug. So we, our, whole, our tunnel's connected, and we're like... We've, we've looked everywhere. We've looked everywhere. And then we're like, okay, God, if you want us to keep working here, you need to send us something. And we need a cadaver dog that can, because um, ours were so exhausted. They worked every day, all night, down that whole block. And uh, we're like, we need, we need another dog. Somebody showed up with a, a live find dog. It was like, it'll alert if the person is alive. And it went through there. We're like, if God wants us to keep digging, we know that there's there's somebody in there. And that dog never alerted. And we're like, man. So we walked out, and we didn't know what else to do. We're like, what was this for? What, why were we here for so long, digging tirelessly? And we, we all walked out, and we're like, I mean, I was, I was so exhausted. I was, everybody was. And that was the, fam- the family. It was, it was their family that, was, that we were looking for, for those like four and a half days, five days. And they, when we came out, and we just, they could tell on our face that we were, we were done. We didn't know where else to go, what else to do. And they were crying, and they came over to us, and they just hugged us and hugged us, and they said, thank you so much. They said, you don't know what this means to us. They said, you have, you have demonstrated true love. Even when everybody else left, and now we're all crying. And we're like, what was the point of what? Like, we thought we had failed. We had failed. And they were so, so happy and so grateful, even though we, we couldn't find them, that they gave us so much food, and they said, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. And now they are working on getting their visas to come over, and they want to come to our church. They want to see what church we go to. His name is Anyer. There they are again. Those are the guys that stayed with us. Even our team, most of our team gave up and quit. There was three of us. There was, there was me, Brock, and uh, I forget the other guy's name. He kind of joined us last minute. But, and this was the general that worked with us the entire time and this guy. And then a coal miner ended up staying too and helped. So there was, there was just people that, that came together and helped. And... Uh, we realized we realized that the what we were doing there in that building was not for the we we were we meant to find those people did we did we lose faith that's what we kept asking did we lose faith should we have kept going and then it's like maybe but god can use those our with, through our weakness we are made strong and when we when we gave up 
I believe that the reason that we were there was for those people outside that watched this all happen, and for Octai, and for Anya, and for the, the general. Everybody, by the end, we were, and we had some Adventist Frontier missionaries that joined us from there, and they said, do not pray, do not sing, do not do anything. You can be, you can be killed. They, it's very dangerous. And the whole time, we would have morning worship right there with everybody, with the general. We would sing. We would pray with everybody. And even the general, they would all pray. And we, I love how they pray. They pray with their hands open to receive God's blessings. And we're like, man, like we could learn from that, you know? And we, we just all worked together. Now, so that building that we worked on, that was there was three of us that worked on that building. The other team was work. The dogs alerted on that building, and then they moved down and they alerted on more. So in total, we only made it down one block in six days. We were there, and um, our dogs uh, found nine people alive, and six of them were able to get rescued. The next day, they dug through that building with the excavator where we had been for so long. And they found the last person that would have been alive, they had passed away, but they were 18 inches below the hole we had dug, that I had dug. And that was really hard because I was in there, and I was drilling with the concrete drill bit, and I drilled down, and I was like, there's nothing here. It's all sand. We must be on the ground level. But what had happened is the, the, the bottom level had lifted up like this, and that top level had fell in, and there was a cavity under there. And that's where they had found them. But here's one of the buildings where they found um, somebody alive. That little boy. So this is the children's story, but maybe there'll be children for uh, church, but I'm going to tell it again now. But <clears throat> this little boy, the dogs found him, and uh, I don't know if you remember, the, there was a guy that was standing uh, with Mike with the shoes I had. There was another guy standing next to him. And he's the one that found this little boy. And they tried to give him food and water. And he said, no, no. He said, a man in white brought me food and water every day. And it gives me chills to think about that. It's like, that little boy told us that after we got him out. It's like, man. And even the people that were there were blown away. Like, who? Who was it? They were asking so many questions. And the boy was just a man in white, a man in white. Our team on the next house, they found a, a woman that was seven months pregnant and a three-year-old little girl, and they were all okay. This is now almost day 14 after the earthquake, and they all survived. This was the team that we worked with. You can see they actually took this picture as they're pulling the equipment away, and the building never even moved. I was still in the basement. That's why I'm not in that picture. <laughs> this is Octai. And this, he texted us this right after we left. He said, love you too, my brothers. I will be chasing new miracles with you guys until my last breath. Thank you for your great hearts. After he stayed there, he, worked, he, he flew back to Dallas. And uh, he has now responded with Gideon Rescue Company all over the United States um, doing uh, disaster response with us. And uh, he has asked so many questions about uh, our church. And his wife has now joined us too. And they are working very hard to find, to try to find 
um, ways to help a lot of the people that are still. Because there was, in the camp that we stayed in, in the, the talk this afternoon, I'm going to talk about my second trip to Turkey. And it was unbelievable. There's so much need there. Even now, if we all went, we could only scratch the surface, even if we were there for a year of the, the need that is there. There's just there was just so much devastation and death everywhere. You can see now we're at the airport and you can see how dirty and tired we all just look miserable. It was it was we were so tired. And uh we actually get to the airport and the Turkish Airlines came to us and they said um, your flights have been paid for on the way home, and you're in first class. And I've never ridden in first class, so it was pretty nice. We got to lay all the way back, got a bunch of nice food, all vegetarian. Dogs nope, dogs were not crated. They got to they got their own seat in first class. Another tomato and and cheese sandwich that was provided at the airport when I was like, I'm hungry. And some guy walked over and was like, I have sandwiches for you guys. First class, there's Brock. Amidst great discouragement, Nehemiah made God his trust, his sure defense, and he who was the support of his servant then has been the dependence of his people in every age, in every crisis. His people may confidently declare, if God be for us, who can be against us? However crafty the plots of Satan and his agents may be laid, God can detect them and bring to all their counsels. The response of faith today will be the response made by Nehemiah. Our God shall fight for us, for God is in the work, and no man can prevent its ultimate success. These things are happening more and more and more. I mean, the, the fires in Maui, the, the hurricanes, there's, there's so much natural disasters all over the world, and it's getting worse. And we can look back at Matthew 24. We have, we have a hope that not many people have. And I can, I can say that going into the, the war zone in Ukraine, going into the, the disaster zone in Turkey, and seeing these people that they have no hope, they have nothing, and I don't think I could do it. I couldn't live through what they're living through without the hope that we have <clears throat> in Jesus. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginnings of sorrows. But it's not the end. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. And I believe that um, those, those people that we, we were digging for, we were praying, we were singing to them, they were communicating to us. I have to believe that God has a plan for that. And that maybe those songs that we were singing touched their hearts and God was right there with them. And I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. That's what we're waiting for. And I'm looking forward to seeing Anya's relatives Come up to me like, thank you for singing that song. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. 
There should be no more pain for the former things that passed away. And we look today at, like, our sorrows. You know, what are our sorrows that we have? Like, not enough money. We hate our job. We, we, our sports team lost or this or that. And it's like, that's, that's what we as Americans and even as, as Christians, we don't understand what, what, how lucky and how privileged we are to be where we are, to be raised in a Christian church, to be um, part of the Adventist church. That there's people where, where we don't have earthquakes here. And these, these, this family where you see a mother sitting next to a whole line of family that it's in, died. And she's standing there thinking that she's lost everything. And we're, we're complaining about, about our, our family's cooking. You know what I mean? Like, we just, there's so much that is happening in the world that we could, even just by being there and saying, here am I, send me, that we could bring light and hope. And that's the, the point of getting rescue company. And not to say that everybody has to go to Turkey or to Ukraine and to do these things. Right here in our own town, in our own church, in our own families, God is calling us. If every single one of us was willing to die for the gospel, how, how quick would Jesus come? You know, And that doesn't mean dying in another country. That means being bold and willing to die right here in our own community, being so bold that you, that you are persecuted for your faith. Right here. On another trip to Turkey, um, Greg, this is just a, a quick story about Greg. He, he actually went with us to Ukraine, and then um, he actually flew to uh, Turkey afterwards. And he, he somehow ended up, it's a whole miracle story, how he ended up in this very high government official's house in Turkey for dinner. And he just, he knows the consequences of handing out literature, especially now to a government official. And that government official drove him to the airport, and Greg felt very impressed. I've got to give him a great controversy. And um, he's, he gave it to him, and the guy looked at it, and he said, is this, Christ, is this a Christian book? And Greg was like, yes, it is. He's like, because I like you, I will read this. And he said, be very careful who you give these to. And to me, that's bold. That's bold to go up to a government official in Turkey and give them a great controversy. But good, good comes from that. All things work together for good. So just want to encourage everybody, even if you feel that, like, it's out of your comfort zone. I mean, there's so many things. I hate being up front. I'm not a good public speaker. That's way out of my comfort zone. But these things have to get told. And these stories have to get told to inspire more people to say, here am I, send me. Send me to your community. And the whole goal of Gideon Rescue Company is to activate whole churches to have start their own part and be like, when, when an hur- or a hurricane or a tornado happens, that church bands together and they go out and they help and they bring literature and they, they bring whatever thing, whatever they have to offer. And all God requires is two hands. If you're willing to go and work, he will provide the rest. Then he said to them, the, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Make me a servant. 
That's what we sing quite often. I don't know if we could all sing Make Me a Servant. Does everybody know that song? It's a really good song. But let's have a closing prayer, and then we'll, we'll sing that song. Dear Heavenly Father, um, just thank you for the opportunity to be here at the Marshfield Church and to um, tell the stories of what you did for, for the people of Turkey um, and for us, for building our faith in this mission. Lord, there's, there's so many times where um, we go on these missions and if there was ever any doubt of, of you in our mind, Lord, that, that doubt is gone. And um, we just praise you so much for the opportunity uh, to help where we can. And we just ask that you be with each and every one of us here, that we will go out and make it a a mission of our own to find one person this week that we can tell about you. Lord, I just ask that you help us to be bold in our faith and trust that you'll provide even when it seems impossible. Lord, because our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. If we would keep the one principle, the service of God supreme, watch perplexities vanish in a plain path before our feet. And we just praise you and we give you all the glory and all the credit. In Jesus' name, amen.